Yo, what's going down, people? Um, yeah, it's day six, day six, man. Ah, and it, it, you know, everything is still gravy, you know. Um, so today's podcast, we have got um four films. Um, yeah, four films, people. That's not bad, right? We're looking at color out of space. Bad Education, The Aeronaut, and Loose. So, um, oh, and with Loose, we've got a, uh, so at the screening I was at, um, there wasn't a Q&A because, you know, there was a, a screening yesterday, so on Sunday, but the director came and um, ha- had a talk so, uh, yeah, we've got that. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to, uh, yeah, play the review, and then we're going to jump to that, okay? So, uh, yeah, enjoy, people, enjoy. Okay, so, just out of the new film by director Richard Stanley. Now, the, the I think one of the big things here is... Richard Stanley, this is his first um, feature film since 1996 when he was meant to be directing The Island of Dr. Moreau. Um, but, you know, they parted ways and he left the production. So, yes, this was a, um, you know, a, a big film to come back. Yeah, it's, it's about making an impact. Um, so, uh, producing the film was Daniel No, Josh Walker, Lisa Weis, Wheels, Lisa Whelan, and Elijah Wood. Uh, Stanley and Scarlett Amar- Amaris wrote the screenplay, um, and the film itself was starring uh, Nicolas Cage as Nathan Gardner, Jolie Richardson as Teresa Gardner, Madeline Arthur as Lavina Gardner. Uh, then we had Brendan Meyer as Benny Gardner. Um, had, uh, oh, I'm going to butcher this, Koranka Kilcher as Mayor Toma, had Tommy Chong as Ezra, Elliot Knight as Ward Phillips, um, and Julian Hillard as Jack Gardner. Now, the um, the storyline was the Gardner family has traded city life for the country. After their, they inherit a rural family estate located near Arkham, Massachusetts. Struggling artist, Patriot Nathan, tries his hand at gardening, yet fails to yield any desired results. That changes one evening when a small meteorite crashes in the yard. 
The purple glowing orb soon withers into dust, but not before infecting the local water supply. While the effect on the crops is bountiful, the alien presence soon begins to take an ill effect on the gardener family. Now, I think when the film starts, it, it... they're trying to give you that weird kooky kind of vibe because we're greeted with um the daughter Lavinia doing a a pagan ritual then um you know she's met by um Ward Phillips who is a researcher doing um uh some like geological testing on the water supply, so we're just like straight away. It's like, hmm, okay, this is gonna be different. But I think you get the impression that we're, although we we're going to be seeing a um, a different type of film, that it's possibly going to be something psychological, maybe. Um, Along the lines of something like signs, you know, uh, there would be something kind of off like that, like some subtle kind of stuff, nothing overt, you know, it would just be, it's a normal film, but with kind of thriller psychological tendencies. And for a good point of time, that's kind of what we get. You know, we, we get that something's happened with the family. They've gone through some tough times. But this is this is them trying to turn things around. You know, making that effort to, um, you know, in, reinvent, reinvent themselves. You know? And it's, it's looking pretty normal. It's playing pretty normal. Although every now and again, like because Cage is acting, Cage is acting, and he's he's pretty decent. Every now and again, though, you get these quirky, weird little moments, these weird mannerisms from him, at, where he'll overpronounce words, or um, you know, he'll tilt his head in a weird way and just kind of have this odd expression on his face. You know, and it's just like, oh, <laughs> is um, is Cage 2.0 going to come out? Oh, no, he's gone back in. And so we're, we're getting some oddness like that. I mean, there's one point when he's talking to his um, his wife, Teresa, and they're, they're talking, oh, you know, like, oh, would you still love me if um, I lost my legs? And we get a, <laughs> I'll tuck you into my carry-on luggage and <laughs> and anywhere, um, you know, I go, I'll have you with me. And then he gives this weird look and you're just like, Oh, <laughs> I I think this might be turning on us, and uh, yeah, yeah, like we get a turn, like the meteor hit 
hearts and slowly but surely this becomes man this just becomes something completely insane there's I, I think you know because last year we had Cajun Mandy and I think you know watching Mandy you you know from the very beginning you knew that this was batshit crazy you know it it was just going to be the oddest film in the world and you're like okay that's fine you know that yeah that's fine it's like panos cosmatos you're so you think it yeah Obviously, it's going to be an odd film. But, yeah, with this one, you're kind of thinking, right, this should, this should be, like, pretty... Like, it shouldn't be completely nuts. You know what I mean? It, it, it shouldn't be just straight-up crazy. But, yeah, that is exactly exactly what it becomes just this insane this straight up insane piece of film like um we get you know a lot of weird angles we get a lot of weird kind of delivery you know, the, the, like the delivery from a lot of the characters from the beginning, where you're getting this kind of straight kind of narrative, you suddenly get like just weird mood mood swings. You get just weird cadences, and that is all matched now with like the cinematography. Because now, yeah, we're getting these weird coloured shots. You know, everything is becoming this um, kind of like a, 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 a trip. You know, we're kind of in a hallucinogenic trip. It's all really just amped up. Completely amped up. And you're, you know, we're just like, is this a real thing or have we just stepped into a fever dream? It, it, you know, it becomes a frenzied, you know, just a completely frenzied, um, I think, vision, really. Like, we're going from just a story to uh, just a crazy vision and it does work like there are moments that are just a bit like ah it's a bit on the nose like the whole chopping scene in the kitchen like straight away as soon as we see it and then the different ang camera angles that are being utilized you know the outcome you know, so there there are a few moments like that, but it's fine. 
Now, some of the interchanges between the, 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 you know, the characters, especially the brother and sister, are very odd. You know, having the brother refer to his sister as a, ha a, a hairy axe wound, it does take you by surprise. <laughs> it is weird. It's an odd choice. You know what I mean? Ain't gonna lie, it's an odd choice. But, <laughs> you know, um, this is a weird-ass film. It is hard to, um, yeah, it's hard to equate it, you know? I, I think you have to be open to oddness. Otherwise, you probably won't enjoy this, you know? I, I think, look, if you watched last year's Mandy and if you enjoy films of that nature, then, you know, Colour Out of Space is all you. You will definitely enjoy it. You know, it's, it's 111 minutes, so we're just under two hours here. Um... So, you know, it's not, I don't, I don't think it was an overly long film, because the way it changes pace, constantly changing place, and constantly changing in, in tone, I think that keeps you, that keeps you engrossed in the film, you know, because you are just like, where the hell is this going? You know, like, what's happening with this? So, uh, yeah, I don't think you're going to be bored. I don't think you're going to be like, oh, God, this is dragging. But you will be, what am I watching? This is insane. So, yeah, if you like crazy films, if you want something that's kind of like a weird psychological horror Yo, something, now this isn't as bat crazy as Mandy, this is probably Mandy's cousin, Mandy's younger sibling, so if that is all good with you, then colour out a space, yo, go watch it, now, it's playing Tuesday the 8th of October at 10 past 6 at The View West End in Leicester Square, then it's playing Thursday the 10th at 8.30 at the BFI South Bank. Um, the BFI's website is showing that these are sold out. But as mentioned before, if you go to the, you know, if you go to the, either of those venues, I mean, believe it's 45 minutes before the screenings are meant to start. That is when they will be releasing returns. So, look, people, things come up, people return tickets. So, yeah, go and check. And maybe check before, just in case, you know, who knows. Tickets may get released earlier as well. But, you know, always check the website. And, um, yeah, give it a chance if this is for you. It Remember, so... This is Colour Out of Space. It is the new film by Richard Stanley. Um, it 
is starring Nicholas Cage, Nicholas Cage, Jolie Richardson, Madeline Arthur, Tommy Chung, um, Quarank Kilcher, um, Julian Hillard, Elliot Knight, um, and Brendan Meyer. So yeah, enjoy people. Okay, so um I've just seen Bad Education, which is a new film from director Corey Finley. It's um produced by Fred Berger, Eddie Weissman, Julia Leber Lebedev, Brian Kavanagh Jones, Orin Movement. Mike Mikowski and um, Mikowski also wrote the script and the film is starring Hugh Jackman, Alison Janney, Ray Romano, Geraldine Vishwanthan and Alex Wolfe. Okay so um, the gist of the film is this, in the early 2000s Frank Tassano, who's played by Jackman, was Roslyn, New York's star school superintendent, hugely charismatic and delivering stellar academic results that helped property prices skyrocket with a housing boom fueled by parents' desperation to move into his school's catchment area. Along with his trusty, salty dog of a deputy, Pam Glonkin, who's played by Janney, he could do no wrong. But then, a plucky student reporter uncovered some shocking secrets about the school's finances. This taught and hugely entertaining second directorial effort from Finlay comes from a script which made the 2016 blacklist written by Roslyn native Mike Mikowski based on the true story of an embezzlement scandal that rocked the New York school system collaborating with a gifted production team that includes composer Michael Abels um, who did the scores for Us and Get Out and shot on the film by Lyle Vincent who um, worked on A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night and Thoroughbeds Finley crafts a compulsive school set political thriller crisply capturing the early 2000s the film recalls Election and Half Nelson in presenting a high school environment that isn't what it initially seems. And amongst a brilliant ensemble, Janney and Jackman fizz as the wildly entertaining double act, gobsmacking in their duplicity, charm and audacity. So, yeah. Now, the other interesting thing is... 
So Mike Mikowski, who wrote the script and was a producer on this film, so this happened at his school while he was there. So yeah, definitely, you know what I mean? Definitely from the horse's mouth, as it were. So yeah, um, interesting. Now, I don't know if the um, reporter or the editor was based on him. You know, that would be interesting to um, kind of know. But yeah, so this film is, um, you know, it's a house of cards. <laughs> it, it's it's a smoke show essentially, and I don't know. Like I'd say, probably the first half of the film is um is basically selling you on these characters, and probably even more than half of the film. It's selling you on these characters. And then um, even a bit more so, we're being sold on, um, you know, Tassone. Frank. Yeah, it, 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 it's, it's very interesting. Because what we're seeing are people who are dedicated to the students. Who are doing everything they can to help these kids listen to their problems, encourage them, you know, to strive higher. That's what we're seeing. Which is an interesting thing as well, because, like, in the description, it says, um, what is it? But then a plucky student reporter uncovered some shocking secrets. But, the, so the interesting thing is, like, the, the, you know, the, the reporter is encouraged. Because at the beginning, there's no actual, um, you know, insight to do what then happens. So it's through the encouragement that got the student to do the digging. But yeah, so what is really interesting is the fact that, so all of this stuff is happening, you know? Then when, so this certain thing happens, right? So this certain incident happens. And at that point, you would think, hmm, okay, well, possibly it's time to um, consolidate. You know, it's time to consolidate. But that didn't happen. Um, which, I don't know, because it didn't touch on that at all. And that definitely would have been interesting to kind of get some sort of insight why. Like, why? Also, there's a, 
a bit before the main, like the first incident, where, you know, a, a character doesn't have to hand over this key, but they do, and you're thinking, but surely, because you're like, oh, yes, go check out blah, 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 but surely you realise that all the other information is there, right, so yeah, it, like at no point did we really get an insight into why these people, like, did these things, then at the very end of the film, um, you know, we, we kind of see someone kind of, um, I say flee, but they go to a place that you're like, oh, because then you find something else out a little bit after the, the, the fact, and you're like, well, surely you, you'd know then that people would know of that place, so why would you flee to that place, that makes no sense, you know, so there's a lot of stuff happening here that, yeah, doesn't make any sense, so it's just like, huh, I w- I'd like to have some sort of insight into that, because interviews must have been done with these people, do you know what I mean, like, interviews must have been done, and to ask these questions, like, why, why did you do that, uh, and what made you do that, uh, you know, so, I think it would have been interesting to get that insight into things, I think, yeah, that would have helped, now, not saying that without this information, the film's problematic, because the film's fine, like, is it, so it, it's, ha, ah, yeah, it's kind of funny, because it's not a comedy, now, there's a few places that w- have called this film a comedy, it's not a comedy, but there is a dark humour, a dark sensibility about it, that does make you chuckle, now, I didn't laugh out loud, but there was one instance where I did kind of chuckle to myself, now, a lot of the other people in the screening did laugh, did laugh out loud, so, yeah, I I, I guess it kind of probably depends on your humour, now, as I'm saying, look, it's definitely, there are definitely amusing bits in the film, but yeah, I wouldn't call it a comedy, but it does have dark humour sensibilities, now, the thing about this is, it's an interesting one, because I wonder, like, what is the the market for this, because it's interesting, it's definitely an interesting story, but it doesn't quite have the, um, yeah, it doesn't quite have the, the kind of cinematic sensibilities of something like Ides of March, right, um, probably even the fact that it, it, it is probably a, a slightly less than, um, 
you know, something like, uh, like the front runner. That probably, and even that wasn't crazily cinematic. So, yeah, it, it it's just like I don't, yeah, I don't really see this film being a huge cinema draw. But you could definitely see it, you know, maybe working on a on a streamer. Which is interesting because H so HBO acquired this after it premiered at the Toronto Film Festival, paying around twenty million. Um, so yeah, I, I guess HBO could put it out on their streaming service, HBO Max. Um, but yeah, it, it's an it's an interesting one to um. Where this film would sit. I, I Yeah. I definitely probably feel it's probably more. For television. Than the cinema. But it is an interesting story. So yeah. that that That's a. That's a thing. But I. I've, yeah. I would probably say. If you are. Um, if you're fans of things like the big short. Um, spotlight. You know, stuff like that that deal with these scandals. Um, you know, even stuff like Eyes of March, the front runner. If you enjoy those sort of stories, um, you'll definitely enjoy this. I definitely feel that. Um, but don't expect a deep dive into the sensibilities of why these things happened, you know what I mean, because we just kind of get surface level on that side of things, you know, just like, oh, it, it was done to, you know, meet this, this certain lifestyle, you know, to project the image that was needed for this role, it, like, that was reasons but you know that's all very superficial it's all very base level so yeah don't expect a, a real dissection into the characteristics of um you know the the these people um you know because yeah we're, we're not really breaking frank or pam down in that way but yeah, it's an it's an enjoyable story. Um, it's interesting, and you can see it again on Tuesday, the eighth of October. So it's playing at the Odeon Lux Leicester Square at twelve forty-five, and then the next day, Wednesday, the ninth of October, at three p.m. At the View West End. So yeah. They're your um, second opportunities. Are your second and third opportunities. Of seeing this film. And it's 104 minutes. So. Yeah. You know. Hour and 40 minutes. It's, it's, yeah. It's not too bad on the time. On the time front. But yes. There you go. So bad education. I think I probably would have called it something else. Where it might confuse people with the 
you know, bad education TV series and then the film of that TV series. But yes, this is Bad Education from director Corey Finley, written by Mike Makowski, starring Hugh Jackman, Alison Janney, Ray Romero, Geraldine Vishwampfen and Alex Wolfe. Go catch it. Okay, so I have just come out of the screening of The Aeronauts. This is the new film from director Tom Harper, who also produced it along with Todd Liberman and David Hoberman. Um, The screenplay was by Jack Fawn, and the film is starring Eddie Redmine, Felicity Jones, Himesh Patel, Anne Reid, and Tom Courtney. Um, The gist of the film is this. Who would dare venture to the outer reaches of the atmosphere with just a balloon and some gas above them and a wicker basket beneath? Amelia Wren, played by Jones, and James Galatia, played by Redmine, are about to embark on mankind's highest ever balloon voyage in the interest of studying the weather. But they have to stop bickering first. Directed by longtime fest favourite Tom Harper um, and written by equally talented and beloved Jack Fawn. Uh, they absolutely nail the audacity and romance of the Victorian race into the air with special effects that make you feel you are inside the balloon. Based on a composite of adventures and the stories of their exploits, the aeronaut seeks to understand people who push themselves beyond the limits to make new discoveries and redefine the boundaries of what is possible. If you are squirmish about heights, prepare to watch this from behind your fingers. So, when you're telling certain kind of stories, there are, um, you know, confines that affect the way we do them. And, you know, telling a story that is essentially based within a small wicker basket, you have to find ways to make that invigorating, make the audience care, you know, find that angle that draws you in. And so with this film, It starts off with a flash of danger, just a small flash, just something to whet your appetite and make you wonder about what is to come. So, yeah, we just have a, I don't know, it's like a split second scene of, um, you know, Redmayne and Jones huddled together with the elements blattering around them and then we go and we you know because this is kind of dependent all upon flashbacks so we now see the um you know like the whole build up to the start of the flight I mean, it was interesting that they used a um a young boy 
running through the streets to be able to use the camera to pan and show the whole landscape of the area I mean, I thought that was um that wasn't a bad way of doing it introducing us to this bustling um metropolis you know and then seeing there's all these people here come out to see this um record-breaking balloon flight attempt so yeah that 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 was that but yeah we get a lot of these flashbacks um so we have uh like james trying to build interest within his um establishment with the other professors to um have them believe that you know a flight to um you know try and work out the weather would be a good thing um we have many flashbacks on um amelia and you know just looking at what's brought her to this point because you know we we know that she was married there was an accident um and and so there's all of this stuff that we, you know, they, they kind of drip feed us amongst um, the scenes of them in the basket doing the flight. And that works to a point. But I think essentially we have just got these two people in a basket. So it's trying to show that. Now, they they bring the camera in uh, most of the time to um you know try and give you um like this sense that it's not just within this small little area which is fine which is fine but i don't know i i kind of feel that we probably need something more you know because we know they're in a basket so what else can you do I think a big a big problem with it is it's blue screen no it's green screen not blue screen blue's the sky no yes so it's green screen and it's glaringly obvious it's green screen you know there, there's this bit where these butterflies are um, around but they look so CGI you know like even I could tell this CGI and I could hardly see the screen you know what I mean? so that's not that's not a good thing yeah and it's just like when they're just in the basket talking and looking at um the you know the measurements and everything like that you know there is, you you can see they're acting on green screen and that is very jarring. That does kind of bring you out of the film. Because, you know, you, there's no escapism. You know it's not real. Which is a big shame. You know? Um, and it, I, I think that does hurt the film in a way. That we've got limited invention in um, how we're shooting these sequences. You know, the, the, um, 
you know, the the ambience of this flight in the atmosphere isn't really there because everyone knows it's green screen. Like these are things that are uh, like slightly problematic. I think also you you have like I think it's it's an old trope, right? You have two people, they meet, and at first they don't get along. You know, one is effervescent and lively, and the other is studious, and, you know, we perceive them as being dour. Uh, But then, as time goes on, they grow to appreciate each other, and possibly fall in love. You know, and it's just like, what you thought was this... Un, you know, undenying confidence is really a, a mask to hide the fear that's lurking beneath and what you thought was studiousness is really a, a, a subtle courageness you know it, it's, it's just we've seen it so many times and that's what they're doing here you know Amelia is effervescent and um, James is studious and so they're in the balloon and they're arguing and disagreeing and it's just like why like why have you decided to go this route because it's not helping the film it's not helping the film and also um redmayne has decided to like he's he's kind of appropriated this Rough way of talking, where it'd be like, Amelia, I've got to check the measurements. I'm gonna launch this pigeon with a message. Now, I'm at no point do we want this balloon to go down, Amelia. It's gotta go up, it's gotta go up. We've gotta prove these people wrong. And, um, yeah, there's only so long that you can hear that voice and be like, Okay, okay, fine, fine. You know, it just starts to get very grating, and it's just like I'm acting right now. People believe I'm giving you this character. It's just a bit much, you know. It's like it doesn't feel natural, you know. Um, and it's just like what we need is something natural to help us get into this this predicament into this moment i mean there are other issues that don't help with the film like there's a point when they both get sucked up into the balloon which don't believe is a possible thing to happen now i might be wrong i might be wrong it happens sometimes but I don't know I don't think that's a possibility also now <laughs> I, I don't think you can reverse frostbite with brandy like yeah I don't think that that can happen especially when it's gone a long way and also hyperthermia shaking someone it doesn't cure hyperthermia once hyperthermia is in you kind of need to take your ass to hospital 
so they're, they're, they're playing loose and fast with certain things which do make you go um hmm I don't know and I, I guess the ending is a little bit jarring you know I mean hey there's a few things that <laughs> really are a little bit jarring with the ending because I think if the, there's certain falls you can take where you can get up then there's others and it's just like there probably should there's going to be a break somewhere you know like yeah I mean it's very rare that there's not a break so there was that and then it's just a bit you know like let's tie things up with a bow I think that's the that's where it becomes a little problematic tying things up with a bow at the end you know just to be like oh this is all so happy and nice and blah 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 I'd also like to point out text kept on appearing on the screen white text and oftentimes the screen is pretty white with clouds and stuff or very pale blue so you're putting white text on top of that and it's it was tiny text i have no clue what it was saying and it's just like why like what is the need to do it like that make it bigger or vocalize it you know what i mean it's just it's frustrating it's irritating it's like not everyone has 2020 vision so i mean to do something like that you're you're taking an element of the film away from a lot of people and it baffles me why you know directors are so lazy with this shit it is frustrating um but listen obviously um yeah i don't think this film was for me but i think that's fine it doesn't have to uh but i would say if you were um if you liked breathe you know i i think you will like this because it is similar in kind of um, themic tones. But, you know, obviously it's a different film. Um, but, yeah, I, I would say if you like Breathe, then uh, you will like the Aeronauts. And if you like these kind of, I'd say, big studio... Um, stories about stuff like this uh, so like around the world in 80 days mm, I guess probably not that one because that's a comedy but I, I think you get my drift right yeah it, hmm. yeah it's hard to try and think of because I probably avoid them <laughs> um but yeah, that tsunami film, you know, like, 
the one with Matt Damon in. Stuff like that. If you like stuff like that, then I think The Aeronauts is your type of film. So, people, look, you will be able to see it on, well, tomorrow. So, it's Tuesday the 8th of October at quarter past 11, and it will be playing at the Embankment Garden Cinema. So, that's the big pop-up in between Embankment Station and Charing Cross. Then, on Thursday the 10th of October at 2.30, this time it's at the BFI um, along the South Bank. You will be happy to hear, though, that, like a lot about the screenings during this festival, this is a fully accessible one. Um, So, there's going to be an audio description soundtrack, um, headphones are available on request, and if you have um, difficulties with hearing the screening on the 8th of October um, this one will have full English subtitles with um, non-dialogue audio so uh, yeah if you think this film is for you hey, go along to any of those screenings on the 8th or the 10th of October Uh, So that's The Aeronauts, the new film from director Tom Harper, um, starring Eddie Redmayne, Felicity Jones, Hemish Patel, Anne Reid and Tom Courtney. Okay, people, so we've had nearly all the reviews now, so we're going to run the loose one coming up um and then remember we are going to be playing a um an interview with the director that he did after the screening okay so um yeah that's what you're gonna get all right cool okay so i've just come out of a screening of loose now this is the New film from director Julius One. Um, One also produced the film along with John Baker and Andrew Yang. And he uh, wrote the screenplay alongside J.C. Lee, who um, Lee had originally written a play, um, which uh, One adapted and then they worked together to uh yeah kind of put the whole thing together now the film stars um Naomi Watts Tim Roth Octavia Spencer Kelvin Harrison Jr um and Norbert Leo Butts um and uh yeah, it's it's a it's a really interesting film. Um, it's also Andrea Bang um, gives a, a great performance in this film as well. Uh, so the gist of the film is this: Luce, who's Harrison, uh, is a former refugee, a child soldier from a war-torn African country uh, that we find out to be Eritrea. 
seemingly recovered from his childhood trauma, he now lives in his adoptive country as the son of white liberal middle class parents. Uh, that's Rothman Watts. His high school's brightest hope, a fiercely intelligent debater and star athlete, Luce seems destined to achieve great things. But after he chooses Franz Fanon as an assignment to deliver a paper in the voice of a historical, historical figure, Luce's English teacher, played by Spencer, becomes suspicious that something darker may lurk beneath his highly controlled exterior. Shot on crisp 35mm with production design as restrained precise and potent as the storytelling this is deeply satisfying filmmaking disciplined canny proactive and complex like loose himself and uh yeah i definitely have to mention um the uh the cinematography that was by uh larkin seppel and the music score that was by Jeff Barrow and Ben Salisbury. So this is an extremely interesting film. Um now it's kind of weird because some places call it a um a thriller. It it is it's not a thriller. People don't get that twist. It's not a thriller, it's not a horror. It's it's a drama. And you could say it's a psychological drama. What it definitely is, is interesting and complex. Because we we have, look, as it mentioned, so Luce is, you know, he's this star debater, he's this star student. And I think people have attached these expectations and these uh, labels to him. Which, obviously, you know, that's a lot, right? That's a lot to have on your shoulders, you know, to be this this shining hope for all these people. Because, essentially, what does that leave for you? You know what I mean? Like, now, you, you find yourself in a box. And there's not a lot of wiggle room there. So... We we have all of this on Lucy's shoulders. And yeah, he writes a paper. A paper that is asked. You know what I mean? It is it's not just he he fought it up out of thin air. He was asked for a paper, he wrote a paper. And his English teacher, Spencer, now decides that because of his background. This paper is something more than what it may be. It now is evidence. It's now something sinister. And this, this is an interesting theme that the film plays with, you know? Because... Yeah, now the cracks appear. Now a lot of things are happening and a lot of perceptions are changing. It's an interesting thing because, you know, essentially, like what you could say, 
that people are waiting for a belief to become a reality, you know, and yeah, like on what evidence, on what real evidence are they doing that, that's the big thing, that's the interest, and um, we get some superb performances here, we really do, like all of these people are um, giving us something different, like you've got Spencer, the teacher, and you know, she, she, she's kind of really kind of giving this performance that's a bit like, mm, I'm not trusting you, I, 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 I'm calling bullshit on what you are telling me. You like Naomi Watts. Naomi Watts has become such a great actress. I really do think so. I mean, like in the beginning, like she was okay, but she she's really developed this nuance to her performances that kind of give you so much. You know, just from small little movements, small little kind of mannerisms and things like that. So you know, like. She's the mum, so she's, we, we feel, has she got Lucy's back, you know, like, yeah, sometimes we may think so, other times, that's the question, right, then you have Tim Roth, the dad, and it's just interesting how, you know, like in life, it's just like one minute people are on your side, the next minute they're not. But it all has to be believable We all have to You know, be convinced In what we are seeing You know, like What we're seeing from Luce Like, do we trust Luce? Do we believe in Luce? Like, do we think his parents are being hard on him? Is the teacher being hard on him? This is all the stuff And I think a way in telling this Is... You know, like Oney's direction, because sometimes in a film where you're you're trying to convey little secrets, little things, you get a lot of close-up shots. You know, so you do, so the main character might throw you a little wink, a little shrug, yeah, you know, a little something. But Oney's decided that no, we we don't see any of that. You know, so. We are observing what is going on. So he's giving us those types of shots. An observation. An observation, but still close enough for us to feel invested. You know? And um, we have the, the music that's playing in the film. So we, we have this, this certain beat that plays... And it like it's a recurring beat, and it's kind of giving us a. It's like a heartbeat. It's like a raised heartbeat. So it's just like, is that a raised heartbeat from guilt, anxiety? Like, what is it? I don't know. But it does give you that. It does give you that elevated state in a scene. Which then creates a, a, a doubt 
You know, like, a, hmm, where are we sitting here on this? Who are we believing in? So we have everything unfolding. And um, I think when you're watching it, you do believe, like, there's a lot. Because you're kind of like, I think there's more to all of this. But then I also feel that the constraints placed on Luce aren't fair. So it's just like, oh, who, whose side are we on? Who are we rooting for? It's a funny thing because they're not similar in um, like story type or anything like that. But this film does remind me a lot of A Simple Favour. Be, and and in that film, I think there is it's all about perception, right? The way we perceive Anna Kendrick, Ken, Ella, Anna Kendrick's character, yeah. And um, yeah, that's the case for this. Who are we believing? Who are we siding with? And it's it's a real, it's a real enjoyment in watching it and trying to determine all of those things, because I think you definitely. Feel that the parents have jumped to a quick assumption A very quick assumption When you kind of consider that Luce has been living with them for a long last time But some of the rhetoric that we hear Makes you doubt You know Doubt that Their love Their concern You know and you do kind of see that whole whole thing of you know this this progressive white couple they've adopted this little black boy from a harrowing situation that that does give them a certain cachet right so are they really invested or is this more a case of You know We're doing it To make ourselves look good So we don't want Anything to affect that But th- this is a narrative That goes through the film um, Because it's just like What is afforded to Luce Is that afforded, afforded to some of his friends Like Deshaun But all of that Gives us this interesting tapestry This Yeah This picture On Perception Is essentially that's What this film is about It's about the perception That we put on people You know Are we taking you at your word Or if an authoritative figure Questions someone Do we believe them Because they're an authoritative figure You know Even though you've known a person for Say 10-20 years Like where do you fall And um, yeah I think I definitely think That um, you know Julius One Has done a very Very good job At Putting the, posing those questions to us and giving us enough 
to make an assumption but not leading us in what that assumption may be so yeah i i i highly highly recommend checking this out it's 109 minutes so you know hour and 40 just like well slightly over an hour and 40 minutes right you don't feel like it's dragging in at any point you're just watching and mesmerized by you know what's been put before us it's a definitely an interesting color palette which really helps the whole the whole narrative and uh yeah so people go see it uh and unfortunately you know there's no more screenings during the festival but you will be happy to know that it will be coming out in the UK on the 8th of November so uh yeah mark that in your calendar people because this is a film i feel that you do not want to miss so that is loose from director julius one who also produced and co-wrote with jc lee it is also produced by john baker andrew yang and it's starring kelvin harrison jr octavia spencer naomi watts tim roth Norbit Lee Butts And Also a really good Performance from Andrea Bang So uh, yeah Check it out people to make something that was just here's the answer to these major 
issues and institutional uh, challenges and, and cultural problems we've been dealing with for so long. Um, so I love that you could use an element of genre to explore it, to keep it interesting, but at the same time, I felt personally that it's also more effective um, to pose questions than to necessarily say, here are all the answers to things that I can't answer. And I think JC wanted to write the play as well because he didn't know the answers to some of these questions. I mean, you really don't give us any answers, and that's you know one of the things that's so special about it, the, the ambiguity and that, and that position it places your audience in of, of quite extreme discomfort and wondering at times, well, who, which of these characters and their perspectives do I, do I believe? Can you talk a little bit about how you worked with the characters uh, specifically around the ambiguity? Well, you know, we try to think through the story from every character's point of view, and what I enjoyed about the play and what we wanted to accentuate further was the film, the film was the fact that they all have merit to their positions. I mean, Luce is a young man who wants to define himself on his own terms. Uh, Harriet is somebody who's coming from a very specific African-American tradition, a product of, uh, more direct product of a civil rights movement and a kind of respectability politics, and she's fully aware that she lives in a world and in a country where, especially as a person of color, as a woman of color, the expectations placed on you of uh, being better than the best and being perfect and not slipping up uh, might not allow the looses of the world to just be a normal kid. Um, and then you have these well-meaning, progressive white parents who, on one hand, genuinely love their child, on the other hand, also love the idea of what their child helps them project. So everybody's got multiple motives, but everybody has, I think, something genuine in where they're coming from. And you know, the real challenge of living in any multicultural society is the gap between the ideals we profess and how you actually negotiate that in the world. Um, so you know, the ambiguity was kind of thinking about it from each one of these point of views, seeing how these people come at it from their different directions, but also seeing how it converges. Um, and then likewise with Luce, you know, what was interesting to me is just the idea that all we know about anybody we meet or the expectations we have, our personal history, the baggage we, we bring to the table, and that shapes uh, so much of how we treat them. And yet again, that's where those values come into conflict with uh, our own internal biases. So it was very important with Luce to as the audience to kind of experience in the same way the characters are, and as you go through the journey of the film, arrive at your own conclusions, and I think, you know, your conclusions probably tell you a little bit about who you are and where you're coming from. Absolutely, I think it, at, at various points in the film, it really sort of makes you confront your own prejudices and your own, your own position on, you know, perhaps your own position in society. Yeah, and the assumptions we all tend to make of each other. You know, and, and, and that's where, what I liked about this as a thriller is there's not really a lot of violence, there's no blood, nobody gets killed. Uh, so it's, it's really all just about information and, and how our expectations get upended. Um, which again, I think speaks to how we view each other and how we define people and, and back to that question, you know, we're dealing with this question in every multicultural society right now about identity, you know, whether on the basis of of gender or race or sexuality, and, and ultimately it's a question about who gets to be human, who, who gets to be have, have access to the full spectrum of humanity, and that tells us a lot about how power works and how privilege works. Um, so I thought the play was doing a really smart job posing those as questions, and you know sometimes you might not like the answers that it arrives at or that you arrive at personally, but I think going on that individual journey and thinking about these kinds of things is important and also very necessary. We're living in a moment right now where everybody's got a megaphone in their in their hand and, and, and assumes that their position is the one and only position. Now I want to come back in a minute to talk about um, Kelvin Harrison Jr. and how you work together, but just picking up on what you said about power and privilege, there's that 
confrontation scene towards the end with Luce and his parents and, and Harriet and, and the principal. And that moment where Naomi Watts lies, and it's so shocking. Um, and it really makes you think as much about um, about whiteness and power and privilege as as, as the film does about 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 blackness. Well, I mean, it, it, it goes to show, I think, that even with the best of intentions, those with power and privilege can weaponize it uh, in the most destructive ways. And, and as much as she loves her son, uh, I think there's a version of it also being in love with again, what she wants to project and, 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 and who she needs to be or thinks she needs to be. Uh, 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 so unpacking all that was really interesting as we were exploring uh, in the writing, because that was something that also evolved from the play. Um, but I think that, that that moment says a lot about the gaps and divisions that can occur in even the best of situations and circumstances. Mm. So let's talk a little bit about, about Kelvin, who's, yeah. who's completely mesmerizing in this and, and was so good in It Comes at Night and is also in the festival um, in trade with Schultz's uh, film Waves, I think, which is screening next weekend. Um, tell me about um, about how you guys came to working together and also how you sort of uh, navigated a character that, that is operating on so many different layers. Um, you know, Calvin was somebody I didn't know anything about. I hadn't seen It Comes at Night. Um, and I was set up for a breakfast with him. Uh, by his agent, and I just wanted to stay open-minded. Um, he had this breakfast, and the kid's totally confused. He's asking all these questions. I'm like, no fucking way you're gonna be in this movie. Not gonna happen. He was like, literally, I thought the kid was a space cadet. Um, and, um, uh, uh, and we leave, I'm like, okay, he's got a free breakfast, and then like two or three weeks later, a tape comes in, and he was basically loosing me out. Like, he punked me. He got everything he needed for his audition, in the most unassuming way, and the tape was just undeniable. Um, and in fact, uh, when I was talking to Naomi about doing the movie, she's like, you know, I, I saw Calvin's tape. Like, how did you see Calvin's tape? Doesn't matter how I saw Calvin's tape. But I would never have agreed to do this if I didn't have a scene partner. Um, that just speaks to, you know, he had a really innate understanding of, I think, who the core of the character was. And then from there, it was a real process of building. Because, you know, he's a kid from New Orleans. Um, he doesn't talk like that. Um, he wasn't aware of who Franz Fanon was, so he read the books. He got him a dialect coach. Um, he's not an athlete. He's a really nerdy, artsy kid. Um, so he's a musician. So he had to learn track. And he took basketball lessons. Um, and uh, uh, I, would, I was a debater in high school, so he would come to my office and be like, this is how you stand at the podium. This is your posture. This is how you should speak. Um, we did a ton, and he was just so in it, up to the point that he wrote the paper that's in the movie, um, uh, and Octavia graded it. Um, what grade did you give him? She gave him a B, uh, <laughs> which was fun. Uh, they, they really got into it. Um, and the prop you see in the film is the paper that um, he wrote that she graded. So I remember the first day we were shooting with it, the, uh, the art department comes, and they're all so excited, the props person rather. You know, they went to Staples and they got all their paper covers. They're like, don't worry about it. The actor's already got a cover. Um, uh, so that level of commitment that he brought to it was fantastic. And that was across the board. You know, Naomi as well, Octavia, Tim, they all had their own different processes. And um, we spent about a week and a half uh, kind of getting to know each other and, and working through the material, um, which is rare, you know, for, for a movie, especially for a movie as small as this one. But um, I think it was really important because there was so much text to, to deal with. And what were some of the sort of reference points that you gave him for helping to get out of the skin of, of Luce? Well, I mean, a, a part of it started with Fanon um, and, and reading those books. Um, and also just, you know, 
I'm always looking for actors who have an element of a character in them. And uh, the Calvin had gone to a primarily white private school in New Orleans, so he lived versions of his character and some of these experiences, so he was bringing that to it as well. Um, but it was a lot of conversation, a lot of talking about, well, you know, I would always describe Luce two different ways, as a, as a button revolutionary, and as a kid who um, has got a Lamborghini but no license to drive. So he's got this incredible intellectual horsepower, but he's still a 17 year old. And we've all probably met kids like that at a certain point in time who seem so advanced for their years. Um, and it was really interesting to think of somebody who had worked out certain philosophies of how they wanted to see the world and were also astute and capable enough to see certain injustices and how power works and how people negotiate each other, in a place, especially in a place like a high school, which is in so many ways a microcosm for society. Um, uh, so we talked about all that intellectual stuff, but always trying to make sure it was rooted in the emotion of this is a young man trying to find himself, who realizes that by having being adjacent to a certain amount of white privilege because of his parents, he has opportunities that people like the shots of the world don't have. And that's where it becomes really interesting, because I think part of what's often, or at least in America, has been jarring at times for people when they watch the movies, you're literally watching a young black person who has access to a white privilege that is out of the norm. And as a result of that, the way he's able to negotiate spaces, the way he's able to you know, handle this teacher, you know, that, that we would often say when we were rehearsing, if that final scene had happened in, uh, with the five, five of them in a conference, it was Deshaun and his parents who came in, it probably radically different scenario. Yeah. And let's talk a little bit about, um, uh, about the filmmaking itself yeah. and about your sort of your aesthetic choices, your kind of uh, objective camera, sort of long, long, very sort of distance and shots. What were some what were some of your reference points and thinking behind behind that? Well I wanted the movie to feel like you were, you know, it's not an objective film in terms of jumping through all these different characters' perspectives, but I wanted it to feel like you were in Luce's head. Mm -hmm. So um, uh, in some ways, to kind of feel that austere, cold, uh, <coughs> really like controlled sense of who he is. Um, and um, I wanted to kind of keep the audience off their balance the whole film, so that meant keeping all my collaborators off their balance. And I, I basically went to every single department and I took one thing away from them. We had a brilliant DP on the film, a guy named Morgan Seipel, who did the, um, that, that Childish Gambino video for This Is America, and he loves handheld. And I was like, okay, dude, you're not gonna use any handheld in this movie. He like, wanted to murder me by the time we were done. Um, and it was gonna be very controlled. Um, and for, for the production designer and the costume designer, there's no red, there's no warm tones at all in the film. So that drove them nuts. But it helped kind of keep a very cool atmosphere. Likewise, for the sound designer, you know, there's, there's no laughs. Usually sometimes in the background, sound effects, there's all these things. We stripped that, it was all about taking away things um, to keep a kind of real simplicity um, um, and kind of real focus to the movie. So you would kind of feel like, in some ways, you were experiencing the world the way Luce does, but not necessarily know. And then there were other subtle tricks when they you caught. Um, um, there's gunshots in the entire movie. You've been shot at this entire movie. Every time Luce closes his locker, a gunshot goes off. And that was because people kept on asking, oh, I wanted to know so much about his past, and da, da 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 So I wanted to find a way to suggest that without kind of resorting to flashbacks, which just kind of drive me nuts, because it's a story about perception. And you know, when you meet somebody in the real world, you don't walk up to them and flashback to 10 years of what happened in their life. And then that gives you the window to explain how you're going to treat them or view them. So it was, it was all about really suggesting and, and keeping 
the audience off balance. So um, as you try to piece what's happening, um, you, you kind of feel like you're at Lucy's point of view, but you're also not ever on a steady ground as you watch the film. Yeah, it's a really, really unsettling position to be in as an audience in, in the best best way. Um, last, so we did we did a version of this Q and A last night, and we um we were lucky enough to have um Jeff and Ben, who are your um composers yeah. in, in the audience. And the score is is one of the most striking things and very unsettling. Can you talk a little bit about how what sort of what you were looking for with that score and yeah. how, what what you what you asked from that? Yeah, well, look, it's a movie set in suburban America, so it's a pretty mundane and. We've seen so many stories and TV shows set there, so it was really important to get in the world of keeping people off balance uh, to do something musical. And those guys had done such great scores for X Lockdown, Annihilation, and, and, and um, Free Fire, that movies film. And I really wanted people to be coming with a different perspective. Um, so when I spoke to them, they responded really well to the script, and I just knew that they were the folks for it, so I kind of just let it go off. Um, I was listening to a lot of jungle music when I was writing, so I, I had mentioned that. Um, we talked about what's what what's something that is atypical, and we decided on organs. Um, so they just went off and they started writing. And one thing that we again, it was all about keeping people off balance. So typically, when you're scoring a movie or a TV show, you'll get temp music from other movies or whatever the case might be. So you have a rough layout of the music, and then you give it to a composer, and they'll start writing. But they have a frame of reference. I said, we are not doing that on this movie. You guys write the script. Just go start writing themes. And they're like, what? Because <laughs> they, they, they weren't used to working that way. But they had to write something coming from them, not just like, oh my god, I heard this thing, and now I'm going to make another version of it. Um, and what you're hearing is a lot of their first responses, the, the, the organ theme and also the reoccurring percussive uh, Luke Skywalker theme. Um, those were purely from them. And then that helped me guide the editing. And I, I like working that way more because you know, what's the point of having, you know, a Jeff Arrow and a Ben Salisbury or an Amy Watts or a Calvin Harrison if you're not getting to steal a little piece of their soul and put them in your movie? Um, uh, and that's the same thing with all the other crew people. I, I just wanted everybody to bring a piece of themselves to the film. And, um, it was, I think, challenging for them at times, but by the end, we all found it a very rewarding process. Um, well, I just want to say congratulations. Thank We're you. so pleased to have the, the film in our festival. It's a really, really striking Thank festival. You. Thank you all for coming. I'm going to be watching films during the day, so yeah, yeah. yeah let me know and I'll oh, come yeah. think with you. It's great. Oh, it's, it's great. Thank you, man. Love the film. Oh, thank you. For sure. Okay, people. So, yeah, that's it. That's it for another episode. Um, yeah, it's crazy, man. Listen, um, remember... All the links and all the release date information, you know, the next screenings, all of that will be in the episode notes of this episode. So remember, if if you if you are looking to see a film, check there, or check the BFI website. Okay, now obviously some things are sold out, but there are returns. So um, just 
go to the venue I believe it's 45 minutes before the film is going to start And uh, yeah, you might get lucky, alright um, Yeah, that's it for another day um, We'll see you again tomorrow with some more I'm not quite sure how busy that day is going to be I think there's probably going to be two reviews, alright Cool Enjoy people, see you then, bye